Hello and welcome to Pursuit of Infinity. In this week's episode, we discuss UFO, UAP, the phenomenon, whatever you'd like to refer to it as. Joe goes so deep on this topic and had a wealth of information to provide us in this episode. This topic unfortunately has an immense stigma surrounding it, and we try to shed some light on the current facts as we know them, and also some wild speculation on what it might mean for humanity and beyond. Upon releasing this episode, there was some big news on the UAP front, with intelligence agency whistleblower David Grush coming forward to reveal the fact that government is in possession of craft recovered from crashes and landings, some intact, and even with bodies of pilots. Incredible. He refers to the beings as non-human intelligence. So unfortunately, this news came out after we recorded, so you won't hear anything about it in this episode, which means we may have to do an immediate follow-up to this topic to cover the groundbreaking claims made by Mr. Grush. But before we get to it, for all things Pursuit of Infinity, visit our website, pursuitofinfinity.com. There you'll find all of our links to the many places you can find us. If you want to support the show, the easiest way to do that is to give us a follow or a sub, as well as a five-star rating and a review. These things have a huge impact on those pesky algorithms and also help to expand our reach. You can also show us some support by heading over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash pursuit of infinity. And if you didn't know, we have a YouTube channel. All of our episodes are always posted there in video format, as well as an array of shorts that we've been putting together on a regular basis. Now, with all that out of the way, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy this week's discussion. Today, let's talk about UFOs, UAPs, aliens, all things phenomenon related. What do you think right now is the most pertinent and interesting part of the phenomenon? I don't know if this is like kind of what you're asking, but I think the most interesting thing right now is the fact that it's being talked about in public, um, in our government, and that it's it seems like it's trying to like people are trying to destigmatize it i find that interesting because you know growing up it wasn't a topic of discussion seriously in public like in the mainstream you know it's kind of just like a a silly jokey ridiculed thing and now you have a lot of serious people in the public eye talking about it so i find that to be the most interesting thing going on right now because Honestly, in the last five years, there's been more happening in the topic in public than it in the last 70 years. So, it, like, the last five years have been, ever since 2017, the New York Times article where it, they released the gimbal video, the Tic Tac UFO, and the Go Fast, those three videos. Ever since that, it's been like a steady incline of disclosure or information coming out to the public from high credible sources where, like I said, for the last 70 years from Roswell on, there was nothing to that extent. There was like, you know, kind of hearings and things like this underground, but weren't given any like uh, media coverage in the mainstream. And it just wasn't like it had no validation. And now, you know, you see 
the validation coming and more people are open to the idea of UFOs being real as something that maybe isn't ours. So do you think that there was an initial stigma that was sort of put into place as a means of propaganda, and now our government is starting to walk that back a little bit? Or do you think that this new disclosure movement is being brought to light by people who were not necessarily involved or don't have knowledge of any sort of cover-ups that happened in the Roswell incident? Well, it's it's definitely... The ridicule, like, to just answer that first part, is uh, it was definitely, like, it was basically a PSYOP. Like, it was created purposefully. Even uh, the CIA bought the magazine, like, the Inquirer or whatever. It's that one that you see in grocery stores with all the, um, like, you walk in through the aisle to pay or the uh, cash register when you're going up to pay, and it'll be there, and it has celebrity gossip. It's just, a, it's a tabloid, basically, but... Supposedly, uh, UFO stories were inserted in there uh, purposefully just to make it seem like a goofy pleasure, like recreational type of thing, something not to be taken seriously. And it was just given that vibe for uh, decades. And if you do that enough, it, you're like imprinting the, the idea into people's heads and even just subtly, you know, and then, you know, you have tons of movies where it's just outlandish and ridiculous and you know, aliens are invading, nothing, not much media that kind of pointed toward anything true. So, yeah, it was definitely stigmatized purposefully. And what was the second part? Do you think that this new disclosure movement is being put forth by people who weren't a part of or don't really know the extent of the cover-up? Or is this being presented by the same people who were covering up Roswell and um, at the head of these propaganda movements? Like, do you think that they're walking back their previous position, or is this like a newfound thing? It could be either. Um, but the, the, what it's being presented as and what it seems like is that the interesting thing that's happening now is, like, people that were alive that covered up the Roswell, a lot of the people that were alive for that initial era of just pure cover-up, a lot of these people are dying. And some of them are dying with their secrets. Like, for instance, the Roswell incident, we may not ever know what that's about fully because they say that actually all of the information on it, like all the documents, has been destroyed through time. And the people who had firsthand experience have been are dying. So there's not much of that left. Um, and it seems like the, with disclosure, there's a lot of, like, people that are in government or in agencies that have pieces of information and you know now they're coming out to the public a lot of them are civilians now so some of them still have ndas non-disclosure agreements so they can't say certain things but other people their ndas have um have you know gone away they don't have since they're not involved anymore they don't have uh security clearance anymore so now you have whistleblowers going and talking to the government and giving them their stories I mean, there's always the chance that this whole disclosure is just another form of propaganda and it's being propagated by the, co the people that cover it up. Um, I would say that there's probably a good chance that there's some of that. It seems to me like they are give that some truth will be revealed. But, 
you know, it's not in the government's nature to just tell the truth for for truth's sake. So it seems to me like they, even if they are going to disclose some truth, it has to benefit them in some way. There has to be a reason. So what's being put forward right now is that the reason is that people that know about it, kind of like patriots, rogues that were involved in these uh, programs, they are le- they leaked things like the New York Times article with those videos. Like that was a leak by former intelligence agencies, people that were, you know, just what they would say, patriots. They say, this is insane. The people deserve to know this. So it's being presented as they're like, these are basically rogue Americans that were involved in these programs that have some information and are trying to get it out. They wanted to get it out through proper avenues, like give, putting it up to the a defense department, and they were just getting shut down. So they, like Lou Elizondo, for instance, he decided, okay, look, I, I nobody is, you know, he was the head of ATIP, which was a, a program that was supposed to study military UFO incidents. So he was put into this position. He was head of the ATIP, and he was, you know, investigating these incidents, finding some that were definitely anomalous. And then whenever he would try to put it up the chain of command, it would just get pushed to the side. Like, nobody was listening. So it seemed like he was being directly subverted. So he was just kind of, he became fed up with this. He's like, nobody is listening to what I'm saying. Like, I'm finding these things. They're definitely here. And he couldn't get the information up the chain of command. So he left his position and left uh, government totally to pursue this. And so now he is, he was kind of what started, uh, he, he hooked up with Tom DeLong in the, in that, uh, group he made to disclose information with some other guys like Jim Semivan, who's a CIA guy, uh, you know, people that had inside information. So that's how it all, it, it all started with that. So it's being presented as, as basically people know the information that were in government and think that it should be public knowledge, that there's no reason to declassify, or there's no reason to classify all of it. And all these people, they even say, hey, we understand keeping some things classified, but at least people have the right to know that this is a real phenomenon, that there's, it's a real thing. Um, And now it's moving toward what seems like the direction it's going to is crash retrieval programs and uh, exotic materials that we may have recovered. So that's the direction that it's moving towards, and it, it seems like that is the thing that may come out in the near future. Yeah, one thing I'm really hoping to hear more about are these reverse engineering programs and how far we've gotten as a country and maybe how far other countries have gotten. Have you seen anything indicating that there's going to be some sort of disclosure or release regarding these back engineering programs? I don't know. See, the thing is there have, so now there's Arrow, this new group in government that are studying UFOs in a scientific way, using the scientific method. And Arrow also has been hearing uh, whistleblowers for the last couple months. So, so far, I guess there was at least like somewhere around two dozen whistleblowers that 
um, disclosed information to the head of Arrow, Sean Kirkpatrick. And supposedly, many of those whistleblowers were people that had direct access to some of these reverse engineering programs and crash recovery programs. So I guess a lot of people have been coming forward about those things specifically and even have like direct uh, program names, uh, destinations where these exotic materials have been held. Um, see, everything, you know, everything I'm hearing right now is saying that, see, because in my opinion, the government that we elect, our elected government, are just as in the dark about this as we are. Like, up until recently, it seems like these were, all this stuff was covered up in black programs or in private industry, like, you know, weapons manufacturers. They're not, if it's in private industry, the government has no oversight over it, technically. So, but if you have, like, a black program in cahoots with a private industry, then it gives them, it, it allows them to keep that a secret and, you know, our government that we elect has no access to it. So it seems like there are definitely materials in these private companies. So that being said, we have government organizations who are now disclosing secrets of the government. Where are these programs coming from? And are they separated or divorced from the propaganda and the deep, deep secrets that this shadow government wants to keep under wraps. Like, how are are they are they quarreling? Are like are are we looking at like an internal government quarrel right now? It definitely appears to be that. So it seems like our government, you know, our elected officials, they are not so different than you and I. You know, the people that we know their names. So a lot of them have now just begun finding out that they've been lied to as well. So there's always a chance that this is all 4D chess and the deep state wanted it to happen this way. But what, what is happening on the surface is that our government are hearing these things like the whistleblowers, and I mean our elected government, and they are saying like, okay, this is real. And they're kind of thinking, okay, we've been lied to. And then what really pisses people off is like, like I said, that they've been lied to and that they don't have access. People that should have access don't. Um, and there's, there's so much uh, evidence of this now, and now people are finally taking it seriously enough to analyze the evidence, people in government, people in high positions. And so it seems like there's kind of an internal struggle between the deep state and the public and the elected government. And so even though we see a lot of, disclosure happening right now there's absolutely another force fighting with that and pulling it away so it seems to me i think the closer we get to something like uh, crash retrievals or any materials or craft or anything like that the closer we get to that which it seems right now we're getting close to that the harder it's going to get and the more it'll pull back so i wouldn't doubt that you see all this kind of go away in the near future because it's very easy to put it back in the bag you know people say oh cat's out the bag now you can't put it back in but the thing is we kind of did this already with uh, project blue book it was in the public for a little bit they were studying it and they dismissed it and you know kind of just put it away for like 50 years 
So I think there's a chance that now that you get close to the goods, that's when, you know, maybe people will get threatened. People will be like, you're going to lie about this. So now even the other day, NASA had a uh, a meeting. NASA, NASA is now supposedly, well, not supposedly, they are studying the UFO phenomenon as well. And they're also using the scientific method, which I have my qualms about that also. I don't know if this phenomenon necessarily bends to the will of the scientific method, but it's a good thing that people are doing it that way. That's how you're going to convince people of the validity of it. So it it seems, though, the closer that we get, like I said, they're going to fight harder. And these people have more power than the people that are fighting them. So it wouldn't surprise me if, for instance, the NASA uh, group that are doing the study right now, if they come out, because they're going to have a report, I think sometime this summer, of their findings. And it will not surprise me at all if they say all of it's explainable and they'll have a great presentation to explain everything in a scientific manner. And they'll show uh, videos of airplanes that with different like visual distortions and say, oh, it was just this airplane. You know, There's a lot of ways, I think, that they could put it back. And the crash retrievals, the materials, that's like the gold mine. That's where there's no turning back if people get to that. But it's so buried away, and there's so much red tape around it, and it's, you know, it, it has a higher, uh, it's higher clearance than, like, the nuclear clearance as far as, like, secret. It's beyond top secret. It's, I mean, if you think about it and you just allow yourself to believe for a moment that it's real, that we would have UFOs, I mean, that is the ultimate weapon, the ultimate technology. That's checkmate for whoever has it and understands it and can replicate it. So this thing is going to be hidden with, like, ferocity. It's not going to be easy for it to come out. And then, and say the craft, the idea that we have craft comes out, you know, people are going to have to, they're going to have to answer for their lies, first off. Um, and then, you know, it's also going to bring many more questions because then it, it's not just about the technology. It's, well, who, whose technology is it? Um, and it's going to, it just opens up Pandora's box to so many more questions. So if they can keep that away from the public, they don't have to answer anything further also. Yeah, that seems to be the way that they operate in many, many facets of uh, government and what they do. What do you what do you think about the uh, the propaganda aspect to it? It's so hard because there are a lot of very flamboyant UFO personalities nowadays within the community, whether they be documentarians or people who claim to have worked for the CIA or, like you said, Lou Elizondo, people who are actually recruited to government programs to research these things. And a lot of them say different things. And if you throw a guy like Stephen Greer into that mix as well, who is claiming this is all about um, free energy and harnessing top secret new technologies that would change the world, there's just there's so many different people saying so many different things that it's hard to find an accurate string to grab onto to follow. And, you know, part of me, 
always has to ask myself, like, is the entire thing a psyop? I don't think it is. I think there's just too much here to ignore and too much here to call all of it a psyop, but there are definitely incremental psyops along the way. If anyone doesn't know, a psyop stands for a psychological operation. So similar to how people call, like people say things are false flags, you know, staged events that will say, get us to, uh, us as a people to accept going into a war. This is sort of like a staged psychological event. It's something that is meant to instill an idea into us as opposed to like show us an actual event. And again, I don't think that the whole thing is a psyop, but it's so obvious that there have been so many incremental psyops along the way that it's very, very hard to get to the bottom of exactly, you know, where we should be looking, who we should be believing. And that's where a lot of the confusion in my mind comes. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's it's like impossible to know until, you know, aside from firsthand experience, but, you know, the government, it's, it's hard to trust how deep the PSYOP could go. And what you said right there is like one of the main PSYOPs that is used. It's the, the fact of muddying the waters. So they can put out information that appears to be legitimate, but it's also false. It's actually false. And then put some truth in there, too. And then you have everybody, you know, saying different narratives. And people are like, this is all nonsense because none of it lines up. But the thing I try to do most is because, like you said, a lot of people are saying different things. But the interesting thing is that a lot of people are also saying the same things. So the things that seem to line up in different camps and different, you know, avenues, it seems, you know, that you can kind of take that with some validity. Think like, okay, like, so that sounds like it, it, it could be something that's true. And also, because like you mentioned, Elizondo and Greer and different camps, I guess you'd say, who have different narratives and talk about the topic differently. It's, there's also, there's a lot of good researchers, people that are smarter than you and I, that also assess these things. Uh, Richard Dolan is a really good researcher. I recommend him to people. I, I trust a lot of what he says. He knows the history of, of this topic with the government more than anybody, I'd say. And he's just a pretty like brilliant dude. So I trust a lot of his analysis. He, uh, I think he's been right on a lot of things. So there's also, you know, instead of just falling into one of the camps and being, I believe him or him, there's also very intelligent people that have also inside information and access to people in the know or people that, you know, people that have direct access to certain information and then they make their assessment as well. So there's also good researchers you can look to instead of just believing the, the source of like either Elizondo or Greer or whoever else is in the mix. So I just want to say there's also good researchers too. I also wonder how much is possible for us to know or comprehend about this phenomenon because at face value, these craft are doing things that are not possible by human standards. And there is a lot of speculation that whatever is in control of these craft, if they are not human and they're not part of an advanced government of China or Russia or the U.S. or something like that, 
that they're sort of choosing to reveal themselves in a way that we can sort of understand or that we can at least digest. And if that's true, then what do they look like when they're not presenting themselves to us? What is the nature of the phenomenon for itself, not just what it's presenting to us or what we're seeing? Because there's just such a mystery to this. And it seems like, although there are people who know a lot more than we do, and they know a lot more than what most of the personalities in the community are letting on, how much can we really know about this? I mean, it's hard really to know anything at all, um, regardless of a topic this like mysterious and cloaked with secrecy. Um, I think, you know, it, it, the same as all things, direct experience is king. That's like, you know, so there's the CE5 method that supposedly you can summon UFOs. Um, but as far as what we can know, I mean, like you said, we don't even know if the, this is the thing. A lot of people who have experience with like the entities or, you know, some, there's a lot of credible and pretty like legitimate, well-documented cases with some physical evidence to them where people would have a um a close encounter of the third kind which is when there is a craft involved in close proximity the craft left physical traces and there was also an entity that's the close encounters of the third kind and there's there's a lot of uh legitimate cases and then often people will talk about what they were told by the beings and, like, a good question is, like, let's say it even did happen that way. And they, they saw the being and had a communication. It's like, why would we think that these things would be telling us the truth? That's a good question. So even people that have direct experience can't determine what's true. So the best thing I think anyone can do is look up, if you want to confirm yourself, if there are UFOs out there, look up often. And, um, you know, just try to make intelligent assessments of the information at hand. But as far as knowing, fully knowing, I don't think it's possible unless you have a direct experience. Altering consciousness can give you... See, and this is the thing. We talk a lot about um, aliens and UFOs, and we kind of, like, avoid the... A lot of people either go to the nuts and bolts side of it, they purely physical aspect of the phenomenon. And then there's the consciousness. The other people in different camps look at the consciousness aspect of it. So me, personally, know for a fact that there are non-human intelligence. So that's why a lot of people, instead of, say, aliens or ET, they just say non-human intelligence because we know that there is intelligence beyond just human intelligence. And you know that, I know that. And you, we know that there are entities that can be communicated with and contact through the alteration of consciousness as well. So in that sense, like we, we talk sometimes to each other about the possible connection between this phenomenon and psychedelics. I mean, I think everything is definitely connected to altered states of consciousness. I think altering states is the way to access the knowledge beyond what we can hold in our standard human state. So... I think that is another way you can 
no in a sense is maybe trying to communicate with entities through psychedelics or just some type of uh altered state i mean i've had experiences with entities in dreams um so that is a form of knowing that people can obtain firsthand um i don't know what do you what do you think about the uh connection through possibly psychedelics and this phenomenon well, I definitely reside more so in the camp of interest in the consciousness aspect of it, because that's what really got me curious about everything in this world that's mysterious, is this weird connection with altered states of consciousness and the knowing that you're talking about. Because people would always say on the religious end of things, like, oh, you have to feel God and like this and that. And when people talk about having direct experience with supernatural entities, you know, you think to yourself, like, this is just kind of all bullshit to a certain degree until you have the experience. And then you understand what somebody means when they say, when you know, you know. When you have the experience, you have this internal, very powerful sense of knowing. And I let that sense of knowing that feeling that you get from that altered state of consciousness sort of guide my curiosity. And that's where it lands me with the consciousness aspect of these things. You know, we've, we've seen that there have been declassified government documents that say that whatever this phenomenon is, it has a method or a means of interacting with or altering human consciousness. To me, that's the most compelling thing I've ever heard in terms of disclosure, because what that tells me is that it's got something to do with these altered states. And the most miraculous, mysterious, amazing, life-changing altered states that I can think of have come from psychedelics. And if you do psychedelics yourself, or if you delve into the information that's available from people and researchers who have done psychedelics to a very deep uh, degree, will tell you that they have seen, came into contact with, either telepathically or what they may interpret as physically with entities, with something with an intelligence and oftentimes in a place with structure where it feels like there's something that has a higher level of consciousness or a higher level of intelligence in yourself. And again, this isn't just like an anecdotal sort of like, oh, this is what it sort of felt like this is being guided by, again, that inner knowing as part of the experience. You're being not just told something or shown a picture. The altered state of consciousness is experiencing you as much as you are experiencing it. It's like an interchangeable symbiosis of intellectual and emotional exchanges or something like that. And my ultimate question in terms of the phenomenon, in terms of the validity of the phenomenon is what is its connection to the psychedelic experience? What is its connection to what we consider God or the divine or mystical? What is the connection between the fundamental nature of like mystical philosophy? You know, even the ability to philosophize in general, I feel like has some sort of connection to this this phenomenon. And that's my biggest question. With DMT, 
it's it's fascinating because with DMT, with ayahuasca and smoke DMT, the the entities that people see are coincidentally a lot of times these alien creatures. You know, there's in uh like uh Graham Hancock wrote about his ayahuasca experience in Visionary, and he talked about seeing UFOs and gray type aliens. Um, there are plenty of reports of people smoking DMT and seeing like mantis beings that are intelligent. Um, there are experiences of DMT where people seem to be having like a medical procedure similar to that of an abduction experiences. And so there's, there's many, even like, uh, like reptile type beings, you know, all these things that are classically attached to UFOs and aliens are also experienced through DMT, which is fascinating to me. And it's not just because, you know, um, our culture put these ideas in our heads, you smoke DMT and then you create it. And that's the reason why people are seeing the same thing. Cause there's been a lot of research about, uh, DMT experiences among different cultures and also alien abduction experiences among different cultures. And it's funny because you can talk to uh, like tribesmen that have had a connection to star people, as they would call them, or even spirit realm and, and like shamanic culture. And a lot of these people that have never had a connection of culture describe the same type of beings as we do in the West even. You know, there's a lot of the praying mantis, the classical gray alien, UFOs, same things. And people are having these experiences uh, with DMT and also with just, you know, in their standard state, you could say, and having these abduction experiences. So there's like a direct connection. Um, you know, maybe just the, the human state just isn't, we aren't prepped to have that connection maybe. I mean, we're very limited in our state of consciousness as of right now. Anybody who's done psychedelics or uh, worked in any type of way to alter their consciousness know that when everything that you experience is a state of consciousness. So your reality can change in drastic ways through altering that consciousness. You can experience things that are non-human like like when you're in a state that's like okay i'm no longer human i'm something else so it makes sense to me that if you hit these different states where you become something else like you basically do you become something else you're not identified as the human being in some of these states you are having different sensory experiences and different feelings and higher intellect like it, it the states are endless that you can experience so it doesn't surprise me that there will be other entities as well. I mean, if you are able to change so much, then why wouldn't the things that you're interacting with also change? Another interesting part of that and its connection to consciousness is like the lessons that you learn most of the time, at least like for me, the higher levels of consciousness that I've interacted with always seem to have this foundation of like love with a capital L. And when you talk about some of the encounters that people have with beings when they have these telepathic experiences, a lot of the messages that they're getting are things like, you as humans don't understand who you really are. You don't understand your true potential um, or messages of saving the earth, saving the planet. 
um, being kind and good to each other. Also, the notion that these things started to show up in higher and higher uh, frequencies after we acquired uh, the discovery of nukes, shutting down reactors and things like that. That aligns itself, though those two messages of love, peace, prosperity, taking care of the earth, you know, being responsible stewards of the cosmos. I think those those messages and those lessons you'll get from the psychedelics, and also people report getting them from these abduction experiences. So, to me, you know, how we were talking about kind of find where these things align. That's one of the spots where they align where I can say, okay, that's where this inner knowing sort of takes me to that. Yeah, there's definitely a lot that aligns between psychedelics and, you know, the alien encounters. Um, like a lot of people also get the message from entities to, you know, take care of the planet better, be a better steward of the earth. Um, like the African uh, aerial school, that incident that happened in the in the nineties, um, it was a mass sighting with a, a school of like young kids. There were about eighty kids that saw this ship come down, and it might have been a little less, like somewhere from sixty to eighty. But they had a close encounter with these beings that came out of the ship, and through telepathy, they made a, some of the children that were very close. Some of the children were like arm's length away from these beings that looked like classical greys. And through uh, eye contact, they had like some type of telepathy and they were shown like destruction and horrible like things happening to the earth. They were being told that we need to take care of the earth better. They um, were also told about, uh, or warned, I should say, warned about technology and what we're, how we're using technology. So that's another, you know, kind of thing that I see some people getting when they have, like, a strong psychedelic trip. You see people often, like, some people don't want to eat animals anymore. Or some people, uh, they're just more aware of the environment. I see that pretty frequently in, like, the psychedelic community. People often have that experience of um, being kinder to the earth. But and that's one that you see show up a lot in experiencers that have uh communication with with these entities, you know, take care of the earth. So maybe we can think of them not as even intentionally trying to communicate these things with us. Maybe just like the mushroom or just like the DMT, these things, these entities might just be access points to the information field of consciousness. So maybe the closer you get to one of these entities it activates this like telepathic um, raise in your level of consciousness the same way as if you would eat a mushroom. Maybe you just have to approach one of these beings and your consciousness intertwines with it and it gets access or you know gains it gains access to this field of information of consciousness. And maybe within this field of consciousness exists the destruction and all the things that we're that we're seeing because it's not always as if when you take a psychedelic, you're like sitting down and you're talking with an entity. A lot of times it's almost as if it gives you access to an information field that you normally didn't have access to 
because of the facade or the wall that your senses kind of put up within your brain chemistry. So maybe it works the same way with an entity. Maybe that's why when we get quote unquote abducted, there's so much confusion and so much like haziness where there's lost time and a lot of things aren't really too clear within the visual field. Maybe that would lend credence to that government document I mentioned before, how these things have a way of altering human consciousness. It, it might not be that the entities or the craft are trying to give us a message. It might just be the closer we get to them, uh, like the, the closer we get to this weird field of information that our brains then have access to, like an automatic altered state of consciousness just by getting closer to it. Yeah, and I, I also I think that the phenomenon makes more sense, or it's easier to hold when you have a better understanding of co what consciousness is in general. Like a lot for most people, they focus so much on what they call the nuts and bolts, the total physical aspect of the phenomenon. Like there's physical craft, physical beings that come from another planet. That's it. You know, they can fly really fast. Um, but the more you understand consciousness, the more and what I mean by that is basically discovering that consciousness is fundamental and understanding, like, recontextualizing your reality in that sense that, you know, that we aren't physical entities in a physical place that exists independent of consciousness. That everything is top-down rather than bottom-up as far as creation, intelligence, all that. I think when you get a better understanding of that, it, it makes it a lot easier to hold. Um, I also, when you were saying that, it made me think of, because also with psychedelics, um, but I was thinking of, because uh, we were talking about the messages that the entities give, I was, there's a lot of people that do really brilliant research on uh, this phenomenon associating with religion and religious experiences. Same with psychedelics. People find a lot of uh, information that points certain religions to psychedelic things and also this you want to call it alien phenomenon, whatever this phenomenon is, these entities. And there's a good chance, and there's people that have done really legitimate research on this, and it's very compelling that uh, what we call angels were actually, I don't want to say extraterrestrial because I don't know if I think they're extraterrestrial. They, whatever these entities are, I don't know if they come from a different planet. I don't know, you know, what the idea is there. But these things may have been what uh, people were calling angels that they wrote in uh, religious texts because, like, we have a very specific idea of an angel in our culture. Like, we think of it as, like, maybe just, like, a, a mystical being or, um, like, a man that's naked with wings or something like that. But it turns out that actually the word uh, angel wasn't, it never actually meant a type of being like there is no such thing as a being called an angel angel what it meant actually was just messenger it meant that and they're also associated with you know in these texts as being like higher than us but it only meant messenger so they it's not they were all the same looking or you know it just meant that they had contact with a being that delivered a message which is what we see a lot of in and psychedelic, uh, like especially I'm I'm talking especially about DMT because that's the one where you get entities far more frequently, and um, and just like I mentioned with the aerial school, they got messages, 
And so I, I find that that connection in religion could very well be, you know, where we got this whole angel messenger type thing from. It's really interesting, some of the research that people have done on that. Yeah, there are lots of strange, as you said, similarities before uh, how you were talking about between different cultures. Um, and a lot of these cultures were using the same type of psychedelics, whether it be like a DMT brew or mushrooms, mushrooms being more easily accessible from across the world with no contact, no possible way of contact, seeing the same types of things. And as you said before as well, seeing the same types of UFO saucer type shapes, um, the the grays and all these um, these classic manifestations of aliens and you know it always does bring back the question to me like what came first you know did we extract these icons from the psychedelic experience from the altered state of consciousness or is the altered state of consciousness or the visions created by those altered states inspired by what we know and what we have read and what we've experienced in the physical plane yeah, like I was getting at a little bit before. I think that the evidence is pretty solid to say that um, the psychedelic experience isn't, especially DMT, isn't derived from culture or what we've been told. I think it's like a, it's like kind of the best way to describe it would be like it's a real thing that's at a real place. It's a, it's something external from you and your ego. From, not from you, but from your ego, I should say. It's not, um, like I said, that it's not that we've heard about things that look this way, smoke DMT, and then our mind is like, ooh, let me show you something silly like this. I think that a lot of these archetypes that we come up with, like the alien, I think they could have been originally taken from psychedelic experience. Like, It's kind of off topic, but same thing like with the idea of the clown. Is like we don't really think where did a cl clown isn't something that just exists walking around like jesters and clowns like we had to get that from somewhere the whole idea of a circus and it just happens to be that that whole archetype is like it's very prominent in the dmt realm so it's not um out of question that uh we kind of had these uh very intense life-changing experiences in the realm and then tried to replicate it in our standard state of consciousness. But I think something like that could happen with, uh, with th these types of beings as well. John Mack was a Harvard uh, psychiatrist, and he wrote the book Abductions. He was like a brilliant dude that kind of fell into the rabbit hole of uh, alien abductions. And he ended up determining that it's a real phenomenon. And he's a brilliant psychiatrist. He, he tested hundreds, thousands of people probably from all over the world. And it's just interesting because we've been talking about like psychedelic, having that psychedelic experience. And some people, I bet, listen to that and think of it as being less real. You know, like if a shaman does a drug and then talks to a being, it's like, okay, well, he's just on a drug. Well, John Mack went to the jungle when he was doing research and he talked to like a, a tribesman and this guy had like what you would consider like real physical abductions in a sober state. And he, you know, he described the exact same thing that, uh, many people during that time period experienced. He described 
being abducted into a craft and while, you know, just in a standard sober state um, and having like a medical procedure happening to him, all this stuff he was told um, or all this stuff that he told John Mack, I should say. And this is a guy that has no contact with Western culture. And it was it was uh, hard for him to talk about. He also talked about having like his there's a lot of times in these abduction experiences, at least in the past, they would take like a woman's eggs or a man's sperm. And he talked about that happening to him, which he had no way of knowing that that was so prominent in this phenomenon. And so it just seems like there is some serious validity to this all over the world. Different cultures have been describing similar things and it's not always through their cultural lens. Some, they sometimes align. It's not like in, you know, Asia, they see a certain type of thing that's representative of their culture. And then over here we see something representative of ours. It's, it seems to be that we're all describing the same things somehow without any cultural connection to create these things. Which makes me think of the whole panspermia theory. It's possible that we aren't from here or from there, and we're both. We sure as hell look like a mix of gray aliens and hairy monkeys, don't we? Yeah, it's pretty interesting, the, the idea, because this is another uh, theory in this field, is that we were, you know, we talked about in the past the stoned ape theory. Like, how did we become human? How did our, how did we advance so quickly? And then there's a theory that as, as early hominids, we ate psychedelic mushrooms over millions of years that gave us like a, a, an edge and changed us drastically. Well, there's another theory that some that we have been gen genetically manipulated by these higher entities and it makes a lot of sense in my opinion i don't know i wouldn't say i subscribe to it or believe it but to me it makes logical sense when you see how out of place we are on the planet like i tell you this sometimes like just like when you look around at what humans do like it seems alien like the way our like Everything we build, everything we do, it's like does not fit with anything else on this planet, even remotely. So that's, I think, a, a theory that is valid. And then uh, on top of it, you have people having the experiences, these like medical type experiences with their uh, DNA being taken, their like eggs or their sperm. So there's also like a whole hybridization theory that... They are trying to, they've been creating like hybrid babies of between their race and humanity. And there's a lot of validity to that too. If you listen to the experiences that the abductees have, there's countless experiences that all these people have of seeing these hybrid babies and vats and holding hybrid children. It's, it's the weirdest shit, but there are so many people that had this experience, so. That's another interesting theory that has some validity to it. Yeah, it's weird too. It makes me think of like this stone ape theory could have worked in conjunction with the alien monkey hybridization project. You know what I mean? Like the the mushroom could be the thread that I was talking about that we need to grasp onto to find our way back to our origins. It's it's possible. You know, it would 
makes sense because the lessons coincide with one another. Some of the imagery coincides. So who knows? Who knows? Maybe, maybe the origins of the human species really do come from outer space. And, you know, our gateway to that, our stargate would be the mushrooms and the DMT. Yeah. I mean, to me, honestly, it just, it does really seem like there had to be some type of intervention that happened with humanity. And it's funny because in my opinion, there's the stoned ape theory, which I like a lot too, which is what I just said before and what you're talking about. And I think if you don't believe that, then how do you explain this? That's what, and it's funny because I would argue that most people probably don't believe that theory. Most people are unaware of it and they don't even ask. They just like whatever. But if you don't believe in that, what is the alternative theory to how we became this way? And so quickly and just very, it just, it's very unnatural to everything else happening on the planet. And personally, I really think that the alien intervention or whatever entities tampering with our DNA, I think that's like the only other theory I can think of to explain this. I don't know if there's any other theories out there. And if we talk about experience being king, the king of all experience happens to be altered states of consciousness. And in my opinion, the king of altered states of consciousness are psychedelic substances. So if experience is king and experience equals consciousness and these experiences on psychedelics feel like this inner knowing is giving you a higher level of consciousness, then to me, it's the, the only obvious answer to the question of where we came from, of what reality is, what the cosmos is, is in some way intertwined with the psychedelic experience. It's hard to say that we evolved into what we are now strictly because of the psychedelic experience or the stone date hypothesis. But I think it was a very, very big part of it. Obviously, you know, if you look back in history, they say that the ability to allocate more of our body's energy to our brain via the cooking of food helped us to evolve too, because it took a lot of energy, body energy to digest raw food. So it wouldn't allow for us to be processing thought as much or generating neurons or however, you know, the evolution of the brain works. So they say that that contributed heavily too. But I really do think that, that the psychedelics play a huge role in this because again, you know, if you look at experience being king, the king of experiencing anything being psychedelics, and when they lay out the stone day hypothesis, dosage-wise, it makes perfect sense. I mean, you can take the dosages yourself and you can experience what they talk about as being each level and each level coinciding with a very integral part of the evolution of the human. The first one being... Uh, the ability to hunt better, the ability to literally see better, visual edge detection. You can sense and see edges of objects better, which allows you to hunt better, which allows you to um, avoid predators better. Uh, then at slightly higher doses, you get creativity. You get, uh, you get higher eroticism within the tribe, which means more offspring. You're growing your tribe. 
Um, and then at slightly higher doses or even way higher doses, you get the psychedelic experience, the mystical experience, what, what transforms us into spiritual beings, and also what cultivates language. There's a, a concept called glossolalia where you have these spontaneous sounds come out of your mouth. This happens to people who already know language. Right now in 2023, you can take a psychedelic and you can have this experience where things would just come out of your mouth, nonsense. So say this happens to a being that doesn't have language and has never made a sound before or never made a sound with intention before. And then they can start to create creative noises and associate them with concepts. If this is legit, then it seems to me like the only explanation for the development of at least some form of intelligence. And then, yeah, you mentioned like the glossolalia. You see that even today in our churches. That's what they're mimicking that when they're speaking in tongues. That's where that comes from. Uh, you also mentioned uh, the other theory that, you know, how partially we may have developed faster or something that may have helped us is like cooking food and eating cooked food. And the first thing I thought of, which is interesting, is like, that could also be connected to uh, the alien phenomenon, the entities, because that's like the the whole story, uh, Promethe uh, sorry, the Prometheus story, where we were given fire, you know. So there's uh, a side to that that some something higher than us actually gave us the fire, and I think that there's you know you can take that in a bunch of different avenues also, this whole Prometheus thing. So there's a there's a theory that just going back to uh, the UFO topic a little bit is there's a theory that these crafts that we have uh, retrieved weren't, you know, just crashes or shot down or something that they were, like, left as gifts, like kind of like the story of Prometheus. And if you look at our technological development in like the last 100 years, 50 years, 10 years, like how how drastic it's been. A lot of uh, sources would say that we haven't perfected their technology. People that claim that we have their tech, we can't replicate it perfectly, but through finding their tech, however means we've gotten to these craft, these UFOs, we were able to just jump leaps and bounds in our technological uh, capabilities. So supposedly, like, that's these crafts are, like, the only reason we have laser tech. I mean, all this stuff that you see pop up after the 50s is pretty incredible. And that's, you know, after the first, like, popular known case of recovered material begins in 47, and that's Roswell. There's cases even earlier than that. They're just not as popular. But... That whole Prometheus thing is is interesting. That there may be um, some type of gift giving happening to push our our species forward, or you know, lead us somewhere. But yeah, I just thought of that when you mentioned the the uh, eating cooked food. Could that's like a I know that's a big theory that a lot of people say who would think stoned ape is ridiculous or aliens are ridiculous. They'd say, well, yeah, we started eating cooked food around that time. Well, also, you know, aliens gave us fire, so. <laughs> and they probably gave us mushrooms, too. Yeah, maybe. Maybe, and also, like, maybe when we started 
eating the mushrooms it was like that was a beacon that a lot that sent them to come here you know when uh, uh an animal when its consciousness reaches a certain frequency or where it gets to a certain place maybe it's just like it's like a honing beacon like okay we're gonna connect with this now i love that i've never actually heard that before it's cool yeah i've never thought of that before actually <laughs> but yeah i mean the theories are endless it's but there's uh, to me, clearly, and a connection between the psychedelic experience and whatever this phenomenon is. There's a, I, I think with this phenomenon also, there is also like the main idea that people have about it is that they're ET, that there are different species of ET, probably. They're coming from a different planet or somewhere else physically. They're coming here and interacting with us we believe that because there are people that experience different types of entities with like different attributes so we think you know there's there must be a bunch of life out there that are all coming here and interacting with us different species and whatnot but then there's also a theory that i think of sometimes that maybe and you kind of touched on this before when you mentioned the uh, altering consciousness aspect of the ufo or getting close to one of the entities it could be that there's actually only one phenomenon, that it is something happening, but it's just a single phenomenon presenting itself in countless different ways. So, you know, it's like a, a lot of time this is like talking about Skimwalker Ranch, a lot of paranormal, and the ET, it, there's also um, often a trickster aspect associated with it. So a theory is, is that there could be a single phenomenon that is just like an ultimate trickster that presents itself in any way and just kind of messing with us in a sense. You know, it's not that there are a bunch of different species. There's one force showing us what we want to see. I mean, that lends credence to the psychedelic thing too because psychedelics seem to have that same personality to them that trickster, circus, jestery type of personality. So, yeah, that makes sense to me, too. Yeah, a lot of times, like, the on uh, DMT, like the jester I mentioned before, it's, like, a very popular uh, experience people have. And it, even on, like, the, the, the spirit of the mushroom, there seems to be, on these psychedelic experiences, there, there is a personality, and sometimes it does seem to be a little trickster-like. Not always, but... Sometimes it seems to have some type of sense of humor or something. Um, yeah, but also I wanted to mention, because we, we've been talking about, you know, uh, UFOs, aliens, and psychedelics and consciousness. We haven't touched on dreams, which I think are also... It's interesting because people have experiences with entities in their dreams, and I have had that before. And that's easy to kind of just brush off and say, well, yeah, like your dreams are just, you know, it's, it is, you're just making it up. It's your subconscious mind. But in my dreams, I often have, not often, but I'd say semi-often, have like really profound experiences. Like I've taken psychedelics or just drugs I've never even heard of in waking life in my dreams and had profound experiences. And I've had... um an experience, well, I had a couple, one more recently too, where I, I was having a really vivid dream, very long, and encountered uh, 
entities. And I've had telepathic communication with them in my dream, which is not something I can physically do right now. So it's like an extra sensory aspect of consciousness that I have in dreams when these beings pop up. It happened twice. Each time, like a gray-type being appeared in uh, one of my dreams, I was able to have this telepathic experience. And my dreams are very vivid and very real for me. So it's interesting that I know other people have had this experience as well. Um, sleep paralysis also. People claim, you know, you hear this with like a lot of kids. They'd wake up in their beds and see little men in their room. And um, and when I have sleep paralysis, I see figures around. Not It's usually more of like the shadow type figure. But the one time I had sleep paralysis, I experienced telepathy as well. And I told you about that. And it was like direct telepathy English in, in the center of my head, clearer than anything I've ever heard before. I was fully conscious, just unable to move my body. But it seems that, you know, the dream state or just other altered states, like a hypnagogic state, either even uh, sleep paralysis state, there also seems to be contact with entities that can happen. Yeah, dreams are strange like that. And with UFOs in dreams, I hadn't had a UFO dream ever in my life until this year. And when I finally had my first UFO dream, it was just a random dream where like I looked up in the sky and I saw a UFO and the people that were around me were unable to see it. And I was trying to like shake them and get them to see it. And they just wouldn't listen to me. And then after that, every single time I'm, I'm in a dream and I look up in the sky the dream transforms into what from whatever it was. It could be anything. It could be a complex dream that had a whole uh, number of events unfolding. And then when I look up in, in the sky, I see a UFO every time, and the dream immediately transforms into a UFO-centered dream. And it's happened to me so many times since then, which I think is so peculiar. It, dude, that same thing happens to me. It's like it, it almost... It, if I look up in my dreams, it's like most of the time there's going to be a UFO and it changes the dream drastically. I find it really interesting that that just started happening this year because it's just, it's weird to me. I, and you mentioned how it just changes the dream drastically. And now it's suddenly like a UFO dream. I had the last dream I was kind of mentioning where I saw the, the beings same thing happened. I was having this very long complex dream. There was like, you know, it was about work. I was working at a place and there were like in-depth like relationships happening. It was very deep, a very long dream. And I I was driving in a car with somebody in the car with me. We had it was someone from my work. We had to go somewhere for work. And then something happened. I like short circuited. And um we woke up somewhere else in the car, like with like three or four hours missing. And it felt like so real, man. Like, and we had in the dream, it was interesting. We had missing time. And the person I was with, I didn't know what happened. Couldn't remember it in the dream. The person I was with was like really freaked out and they reacted in a really intense way. It was very intense. And, you know, I'm not going to go through my whole dream, but eventually I ended up having visions of what happened and I was abducted by these gray beings and I ended up uh, seeing them at one point later on in the dream and having a telepathic communication. But yeah, it's very insane. So wild, man. And you know, when when that happens to me, it's like I'll be in a dream 
And you know how like you can become lucid in a dream, but you're not 100% in control of the dream itself. I can become lucid in a dream. And then I'll say to myself, if I look up in the sky, I know what's going to happen. I know this is about to change into a UFO dream. And then I'll look up and that'll happen. So weird. Yeah. And that I've noticed that myself. It's now like looking up is a it's a whole thing. And sometimes it's it's very scary. I've noticed most times yeah. for me it is. I had um I was fully lucid in a dream one time, like fully lucid, like jumping around and flying and shit. And the same type of thing happened. I looked over my left. I was flying through the air, and I looked to the left, and I seen like in the distance this weird looking ufo it was like kind of menacing looking but it was this black it must have been giant because it was far away and i thought to myself like this is my time like i can go over there but it was too scary man i bitched out i i went the exact opposite way as fast as i could i was not having it sometimes it's very scary and like it, it's interesting because i am so curious about it that like I sometimes regret that. I was like, I should have just went over there and seen what it was all about, what would have happened. Um, but it's scary. Like, it's terrifying. Like, I would never want to be abducted. That sounds like a horrible experience. Speaking of experiences, you had a pretty interesting UFO experience recently. You want to share that? Oh, yeah, I can talk about that. That's right. So it was February 11th in Pennsylvania. At like 7 p.m. So it was dark outside, but there it wasn't totally dark because probably I would imagine the moonlight, the um, stars, so I could see. Um, I've conditioned myself to always look up when I'm outside. I do it all the time, just like instinctually now because I'm so like wanting to see something and I never do. So I'm always just popping my head looking up. And I was taking my dog out to go to the bathroom and... You know, I'm looking up, nothing, whatever, just talking to the dog, walking around. And so I just, I happen, I just look up again, you know, and it's, it's funny because like, you're not expecting to see anything at all. So I look up and I would say at, at relatively close distance, this wasn't up in the sky, like airplanes at 30,000 feet. It, I think it might've been, it's so hard to say, a couple hundred feet, maybe. I don't know. It was like right there. Like, but there were four UFOs and these were legitimate UFOs. This wasn't like an if, well, maybe sighting. These were like, there's shit right there. Like I looked up expecting nothing. And as I looked up directly over me, it was like, I looked up at the perfect time and seen four craft over me in a V shape. But, um, so it was like one in the center leading the pack, two behind it on either side diagonally and, or one on each side and then one behind it i don't know it's kind of hard to explain so it was like a v but the one side was a little longer it had one extra one so and it was just they were moving dead silently in a steady pace in a direction not like crazy fast but steady and they were white and it's hard to say the exact shape due to the angle of observation because when i was looking at them i was underneath them and like I was looking at them at like an angle and I've never seen one of these before. So I can't say like what shape it was. So I would say they were either like egg shaped or saucer shaped, but I was seeing them from the bottom. So they looked like they were round. There were no hard edges. They were four round objects 
And I mean, they were dead silent. Where I live, I see airplanes all the time and drones. I see all that stuff all the time. And this was like so strange, so weird. I got like the craziest, like I froze and I was in total disbelief was the main feeling. I was like, no fucking way. Um, the, the sighting lasted for maybe 15, 20 seconds because they were moving out of view. When I looked up, they were directly over me and they were moving to my left. And, um, but yeah, the interesting thing about them that they were so close and there was no noise. If I wouldn't have looked up, I would have had no idea something was up there. Like I could have missed it so easily because I look up a lot. If I would have just looked at the dog for another 10 seconds and then looked up, I would have never known it happened. I looked up at the precise exact time. They were directly over me and in an area where you would never think this. It makes no sense. I was like, these things are basically in my backyard. They are, it was definitely purely anomalous because they were dead silent and anything that close would have been loud. I'm saying loud. Like if it, if it was a plane or a helicopter, it would have been loud. People would be outside their houses. Like this, it was dramatically close. And it's hard to say if they were like 200 feet up and like the size of a, like in kind of small or maybe like a thousand feet up and a little bigger. But they were definitely within that range. To me, it seemed maybe like 300 feet. It's hard to say. It's hard to gauge that at night, especially with an object you've never seen before because I can't gauge it relatively in size. Well, think of this. Like, uh, we have like a um, an amusement park that's pretty close to where we live here. Um, so we think about that roller coaster steel force that's there. That's 205 feet. So if you're standing at the bottom of that roller coaster and you're looking up, do you think it was about 205 feet at that peak? Or do you like, you know what I mean? It's hard to say. I know, yeah. but it's funny that you brought that up because I use that steel force 200 foot roller coaster as a gauge for measurement. And it's hard for me to say that they were higher than that, but it's just like thinking about it, it's like, how could they have been that close? But dude, it seemed like they were like that. I would say maybe that maybe lower even. I don't know, dude. It was like, they were right there. Cause that's like 200 feet. It's pretty high. I would say even dude, I'm telling you it, if anything would have been close, like they would, it would have been so loud. There were four of these things. They were pretty big. I would, if I had to guess, I would say they were maybe 200 feet up, 500 tops, if I was giving my best guess, and they were probably maybe like 50 feet each, 40 to 50 feet, um, like the size, maybe they looked like a little bigger than like a little Cessna plane. They looked like bigger than that, I, I would say, and just dead silence. Like, it's funny because your brain acts in funny ways. Like, when I first looked up initially, my instinct first, like, for a tiny nanosecond, I was like, spotlights. Because there were white objects that were silent. Because they're moving and there's nothing. Like, I think that's why my head said spotlights, because there was no noise. And something that close, moving like that, would need to be very loud. And then within like a second not even i was like that's not spotlights holy shit like and it couldn't be because first off there's no way that spotlights could have done that second there 
they were objects clearly once you know I moved past that point. But I think that's interesting to share because it kind of lends credence to how silent it was. It was just so silent that it could have been light. That's how quiet it was, like as quiet as light. And um, yeah, and I freaked out because like I was frozen. And this happened February 11th, which was interesting because that was right around the time where there were all these quote-unquote UFO shoot-downs in the U.S. and like over Alaska. That was with the Chinese balloon. All that was happening. And uh, yeah, it, it was just an interesting time. They were moving with purpose, too. It's just the feeling I got. It was like tight formation. They moved as if they were one. And um, it felt like purposeful. I was like, they're doing something. I don't know. And uh, they just moved off in, in uh, basically, I guess, like west and they moved towards the college. I reported it to MUFON. I reported it to another website. I got a call back initially and I'm expecting another call back. Never happened. Maybe I missed it. Um, they were going to see if anybody else in the area, they were going to try to investigate, see if anybody else reported anything, see if any you know, there's any murmurs. Um, but I would, even though they were so close, I would not be surprised if nobody saw them. Because, dude, just the silence of it, and I don't think most people are looking up too much, especially in the area this would have happened. It would have went over the college, but in the back, like, not where there's many people. It would have went over, like, the sports fields of the college that's close to my house. But it moved off in that direction. And, uh, yeah, it was just mind-blowing to me. I ran inside. I instantly tried calling, like, you know, you, my other brother. And, uh, yeah, it was just, it blew my mind. And the, the thing I think of, it's like, I'm like, God damn, nobody's going to believe me. Because, like, I, everybody knows I like, I'm interested in UFOs. So, like, the UFO guy sees UFOs. It's like, fuck off. But I seen them, and it was... uh it was 1,000% real, 1,000% anomalous. Like, there's no... I never thought in my life I would have a definitive sighting like that. I always thought it would always be like a weird light or something like, whoa, that was weird, that was probably a UFO. But these were four silent objects that were close, not like aerodynamic in shape, just like either they were balls, like not perfectly, like eggs, or it was like a UFO, like a saucer UFO, and I'm looking at it underneath at an angle also they were white i don't know if i mentioned that yeah okay i have something else i didn't mention and they, there were no lights yeah. on these things so this right? is the thing yeah so they were white and they were flying dark there was no lights if they were yeah there was no lights i thought was also crazy because any other aircraft first off has lights on at night they were flying completely in the dark night sky and if they were black i may have missed them but they were these, they were white objects. So I could see them even with no lights. Like they were, imagine they were close enough for me to see them like clearly because they were white objects. If you, if they would have been up at like a plane's height, there's no way I would have been able to see them, even if they are white. Cause if a plane shuts its lights off, the planes are often white. Uh, you're not seeing it up there thousands of feet. They were right there, dude. It was like, it was it was a mind blowing experience. I freaked out though, and I ran inside trying to tell people, and they're like, "Nobody's gonna believe me." But I have people that know me, so they do believe me. I would never make something like that up. 
yeah, I don't know. That's what happened. Yeah, you're looking at one of them. And I remember I'm sitting there. I was at the laundromat. I think I was reading a book, just chilling, waiting for my laundry to dry. And I get a call from you and and you told me the whole story and it was it was mind blowing. And I think it may have been like the day that we shot down those those aircraft, whatever those things were, right? Yeah, one was shot down that day because I had just gotten home from the gym. I was at the gym and there's TVs on and I saw on like CNN, like, oh, another shoot down. This was after the first Chinese balloon. And so I'm texting people about UFOs like during this time period. I get home at like seven and I'm like talking about UFOs because what's in the news. So it all felt crazy because, yeah, get home at like seven, uh, change and then went to take the dog out. And that's when it happened. And I'm like, everything about this is crazy. There's no way they would like be in this location at this time. It's just none of it made sense to me. It really blew my mind, too. And I was a little afraid that night because you hear people have like uh experiencers they'll have like uh abduction stories where like earlier in the night they would see something and then you know that night they'd be abducted or some crazy shit would happen so i was like laying in bed like looking at that my window in my room like is there gonna be something there it's like it was scary dude i didn't know i didn't want to go to sleep I'll, i'll be honest i was a little freaked out but nothing happened haven't seen anything since yeah crazy just an anomalous anomalous sighting that's how you know that you're seeing something though when you get that overwhelming sense of fear and you're like what the hell is that thing yeah yeah i was totally in awe and shocked and then see i wish i would have like ran and tried to chase them to continue seeing them but honestly dude i was like i saw enough I ran inside. I was like, I yelled at my dog. I was like, Mitchie, get in here. And we ran in there because um, it freaked me out. I was like, no way. I look up constantly. I'm always looking up and there's never anything. And I, I happened to look up and boom, right there. Just, I mean, absurdly close, I would say. Like not anything you'd be comfortable with. Yeah, and I continue to look up and I hope to see something again. But yeah. That was uh, yeah, something else. The one time that I actually had the opportunity to see something, I was like looking at, I was looking at it in a way where I wasn't able to truly see it. Like we were at um, my fiance's friend's house. Actually, no, I'm sorry. We were at her sister's house and her friend was there with us. So it was me, my fiance, her friend, and her friend's husband. We were all outside after uh we were we got done playing a few board games and stuff like that we we're just hanging out and i had we were all looking up at the sky because there was actually like a meteor shower that night so i mean we didn't really see any like anything too crazy up there we we're just kind of looking up and it's a very nice view that they have there not a whole lot of light you can see a bunch of stars and i just kind of like nudged my fiance and i was like said hey how about we we try to summon a ufo and not Five seconds later, we see what looked like a shooting star. But you know how shooting stars, like they kind of have like these thin tails and they're a little bit long. This one was really, really bright. And it was probably like 10 to 15 times the thickness of a regular shooting star. It was like this gigantic, bright, thick light. And it just, it shot across 
for what looked like just a little tiny distance and then it stopped and it wasn't as if like a shooting star happens and like when you see the tail you don't actually see anything like stop you don't see a star you don't see the actual comet or meteor or whatever it is itself the whole apparatus just sort of dissipates well this we saw the a, a light stop at the moment where the tail ended and then this light it broke off into four other lights now this looked like it was up like 70,000 feet. I mean, this looked like it was as high as like the stars in the sky. So one of the lights goes straight back because it just starts moving in this weird, slow manner straight back. So that's the one that I follow. I look at that light and I'm following it back behind me until it disappears behind the house. Then I look back and I see, so what, that leaves three lights. There there were three more lights. So I look back and I see two lights. Everybody else is seeing three. But for some reason, what I was looking at, I just saw the two. And I saw them in formation. They, they, they were like stuck in formation. But they were moving and they were spinning. And moving like what looked to me is like they were moving through other stars. And I was like, that does not happen in nature. But everybody else, they saw three, which made this thing a triangle. And my fiance Alana and her friend, they both, they both said afterward, they were like, "You, you saw that too, right? Like, they, like that wasn't my my imagination." And what they also saw, which was really compelling, was when this triangle shape would move um, beneath a star, it would cover up the star. Like the star would disappear under what looked like a shape. So again, I didn't see this thing like as a shape. I just saw it as like two stars at the very end moving around because I was busy following the other one. Right. Which, I mean, strange celestial event is what I like to call it. I don't know what the hell it was, but. Well, the interesting thing about that too is like you mentioned, like they saw like the triangle. Um, there's a ton of sightings that people have with black triangles. Um there's some that are called the TR3B. That's like the size of like a, um, like a fighter plane maybe, and it's a triangle with a red dot on the bottom, which is said to be our tech that we created based off of, you know, the the crash retrievals that we could mimic it but not quite perfect it. So that's a TR3B, and that's kind of it's like a mythos around it. I don't know if it's real, but um. There's that, but also a lot of like really crazy um, anomalous sightings that people have had and experiences is black triangles that are massive. I'm saying massive, like bigger than a warehouse. If it was up, you know, towards like upper atmosphere, it would have to be very large to even recognize it as a triangle. But people have seen those craft and said that they it, like literally reached like farther than they can see with their eyes people have seen them and said it looked like a super walmart like a walmart super center like just absolutely massive people have also saw them and said miles like so it's funny that you mentioned like a uh, triangle because those are that's one that is definitely often seen and associated with like very large size yeah this one would have been miles that's how big it was because it looked 
really, really high up. It they, they looked like they were moving stars, but yeah. as if they were part of an object because they weren't they weren't breaking apart. The only one that broke apart was that one that I mentioned that I followed. It was one light because like initially it came in and then it broke off into four. The three that it broke off into never moved away from one another. It stayed in formation as if it was one object. The other one that I looked at was just a random one that was just gliding backward. And of course, I choose the wrong one to look at. It's crazy, though, also that, like you've said, right before it happened, you looked at, you know, the people you're with and were like, oh, let's summon a UFO. See, it's things like that that are very crazy to me, like the weird synchronistic type things like when same with my sighting it was like the perfect moment that i happened to look and i'm thinking about ufos also that's why i'm looking up i was like oh hopefully i'll see something and then i saw those and then you know you were just saying like i really want to see something well you saw that but i want to see something again too so i we talk about you know possibly doing ce5 which CE5 is just, for people that don't know, it's just like a method that people use, and it's supposedly tried, and it works, that, um, you know, you get like a group of people, and some people do it on their own, but it's better to have like a group, and all you do is just uh, go to like a quiet place with a good view of the night sky, and, you know, you basically meditate with intent. And there's like other methods to it where like you can get really good with it. I guess some people say a method similar to that of like remote viewing almost like you project your location out in your meditation and um you know there's different ways you can do it but this all still leads back to the uh consciousness aspect of it all but yeah so some people have you know sightings of you know you sit there with your group and you meditate with intent on having you know uh contact with something and there's a lot of people that say it works. I don't know. And I think it it aligns with my perspective of the topic and the world, like just the way I I would think that it could be possible to do that. And we talk about possibly doing it with getting a group together. And where I live, it's actually, you do have a good view of the sky. And when there's no clouds, there's not not a lot of light pollution. It would be a pretty good spot. There's like a cornfield right across from my house. And it's just skies every you know you have a great view so we could try that but the one thing i want to mention with that is like the tale of caution with ce5 because there is a phenomenon known as the hitchhiker effect and this is often associated with skinwalker ranch um it it's basically what it is is that people will have an experience and this happens like i said on skinwalker ranch they'll go to the ranch have an experience and then like take the experience with them like or they will be followed by it like there are uh, stories of people at skimwalker that have had like a weird experience saw a light or like just saw something anomalous because skimwalker ranch is full of all different sorts of phenomena from ufos to creatures to poltergeist to uh orbs all sorts of just like a what do they call it? it's like a paranormal disneyland and there are stories of people that have studied the ranch and then moved all the way back across the country to the East Coast and had, like, experiences in their home. And with Skimwalker, it's all, it's mostly 
bad experiences. It seems like sinister, trickster-like. Um, but that same phenomenon, the hitch, uh, the hitchhiker effect, is also it's just associated with the phenomenon in general with UFOs. Um, so when you're doing CE five, there's no telling. Like you know, you could look at yourself as a beacon, calling out to the universe or calling out to whatever, just like trying to make contact. And there's no saying what you could possibly make contact with. So, you know, just assuming that it might work, which is definitely not a guarantee, and you do it, and something happens, and, you know, the hitchhiker effect is, it's reported, you know, significantly enough that I would take it into consideration before doing CE5, because I talked to you about it, and sometimes I don't know. I think maybe I should just shouldn't mess with that. It's like kind of like the Ouija board effect. I don't know if it's like... You know, you're getting into a meditative state, reaching out and trying to make a connection with an unknown entity. And, you know, some people who get into C5 and they start doing it, there's like movies, some of, like they made a documentary, but this group of guys, um, they call it just like summoning, you know. It, and this is the thing, it's often associated with Stephen Greer because he put out the term CE5 and he practices it and he said, he had the experience while he was meditating. That's how he kind of, he was like a meditation teacher and all this. He's also really big into the consciousness aspect of it all. And so he kind of brands this process, this meditation for connection as CE5, close encounters of the fifth kind, which means um, you, it's when you make contact where the human is making contact with intent rather than just like a ship showing up and scaring the shit out of you. Like you intentionally make contact. And, um, this process, it's like some people will hear Greer's name and be turned off by it. He's a very like divisive figure. You either like think he's like hate him or, you know, I, I feel right down the middle with him. I think he says some good things, other things. And, eh. I mean, nobody's perfect, so I don't know. I listen to everybody and, you know, just try to discern what, what I think it makes sense and aligns with what I understand. But this process, my point is, the CE5 process has existed for thousands of years. Like, this isn't a thing that Greer made up 20 years ago. This is a a thing that has existed through cultures forever. It's just, you know, contacting it's the same thing we've been talking about. Altering consciousness to contact something higher than yourself, an entity. Um, there's like definitely reports of, I mentioned before, like star people, all the rituals that tribes do in order to bring about these type of experiences. It's like a, it's something that's existed throughout history. So I do, you know, take it kind of seriously. A lot of people would just be like, ah, it's just, that's insane bullshit. But with consciousness and with, you know, a lot of people clear-headed with intent and, you know, the ability to use their consciousness or try to hone it, I think something like that could be possible. And I think there's a reason why you hear about this type of practice throughout different cultures, you know, through time. You know, so I don't know if you want to do it, but I think I do, but other times I don't. Well, we have a, a small group of people who I think would love to do it, get together up here under the night sky and do it. And I mean, after experiencing some of the most beautifully profound psychedelic experiences of my life, I don't doubt 
anything that consciousness is capable of. To me, it's all possible. And who knows, man? I mean, it was it it was weird saying to Alana, I'm gonna summon a UFO, and then five seconds later it happening. Yeah. It's almost it, to me, I, I almost consider it like a wink, yeah. you know, of the universe saying, like, here, you know, this works, it's kind of real, but again, don't fuck with it. Because same as psychedelics, same as any type of altered state of consciousness, so much research is required. So much caution, I think, is required and so much respect. If you're going to do something like CE5, you really want to center it with respect and love because I feel like that would give you the best chances to not encounter something that's nefarious and hopefully get something that is positive. They say that about astral projection also. It's like if you think of yourself like a radio and your frequency is like, you're on a, a certain station because like, let's say you're all like in a negative, bad type mood, then that's what's going, you're going to experience in the astral. And you can kind of just by changing your consciousness is like turning the dial of a radio and you can tune into a higher plane. And I think it could be similar with CE5. Um, but you know, people, I don't, I wouldn't say with CE5 specifically, but there are people, like we talk about this topic, like being cool and stuff, but people have had their lives ruined and like minds broken through this phenomenon. Like it's like, it is serious. And same goes for psychedelics. Like, it, like you said, we need that respect and understanding of what's happening because people have been torn to pieces by both of those things. Um, you know, if you somehow have, like, a horrible abduction experience and you get shit rammed in your butt and, like, you know, just, like, a, a scarring experience that shatters your wo worldview at the same time as being, uh, like, physically painful and terrifying, like, that will change you forever. And all that is also possible with a psychedelic. You can have, you know, a, an experience you're not ready for. So these things are not to be toyed with. Um, and that's why, you know, I, I take the psychedelics really seriously and I don't take them lightly. And I want to bring that same energy to CE5 if we do try that. I'm totally with you there. And, you know, as you and I are very like-minded in the way that we approach these types of things, the people that we bring with us also are like-minded in that way. So I think that the odds are in our favor to have something positive happen, if anything happens at all. Yeah, and like my um my logical mind thinking about it, it's like trying to envision how we would do it and who would be there. And I think like, okay, well, I would say like 99% nothing is going to happen. And still a great positive because you're there with people you love having a meditation under the beautiful night sky. So it's still a fantastic experience. So it, C5 is, has great branding in my opinion. Like you can't go wrong. It's not like... Oh fuck, man! Like it's it's a beautiful experience if nothing happens because you're sitting with people you love, you're you're putting yourself in a deep relaxed state, pushing out the good energy and good vibes. Like that's amazing. So even if nothing happens, I would still really enjoy the experience. But like, and my logical mind says definitely not. But then there's a part of me that like believes like something would happen. You know, just a small part of me when I let my logical mind go and just you know, set it free and don't think about it. I just feel like with the people that we 
would have there and just with the location that I'm at and the I feel like is we maybe see something you know? high level humans high level location yeah I, th- I think we're bound to see something <laughs> yeah well the, if we do that we'll hopefully you know maybe we'll see something and then you know do a little feedback report on that on the pod yeah, maybe we can feature um, one or more of the people who are with us as well if something does happen. Or even yeah. if it doesn't, we can just, you know, hang out and talk. And we talked about the other day, which is getting a little excessive, um, doing the CE5 and bringing the eclipse pipe, which is the, you know, we get in a CE5 circle and have some DMT experiences too. That would be overkill, but Either I think it that be- or, you know, maybe like a low-dose mushroom yeah journey like during the experience itself who knows yeah and i would say probably low dose um because if you get an once you get on a high dose it could be pretty crazy but to get everyone on the same page might be it's hit or miss we would either all be exactly on the same page or everybody would be going through some wildly different shit and also at a certain dose everything up there looks like an alien spacecraft so you get to be sober enough to know that what you're seeing is real and not just like a vision of the experience itself. Right. And even when I said a high dose and doing it, the C5, I, I envisioned it more of just us sitting in a circle doing and having the eyes closed and making contact, not visually necessarily, but with the intent, trying to have the closed eye inner experience with something. I'm glad you brought up closed eyes. So when you're doing CE5, are you meditating with closed eyes and then everyone opens them at the same time and looks up or like, how does that work? Do you know? I think like, see, I don't think there's necessarily a like exact way you have to do it. I would say the way to do it would be we sit there and meditate for a while, eyes closed and, um, you know, just sit there, eyes closed, no problem. And then if you start to feel maybe a little something, just sit, look at the sky, maybe um, say, hey, let's look up for a little bit. And then, you know, look around, maybe then just go back to meditating. I would say mostly closed eye for a while and then spend some time looking at the sky. Like, say you meditate for 15 minutes and somebody feels like, hey, maybe I, I want to look up right now. Look up and then we all may just sit there and look up, still in like a meditative state with intention and look at the sky for a little bit and just, you know, breathe and keep the intent. And then you could close your eyes again and go back into like a meditation and just kind of repeat that, you know. I would say like mostly eyes closed. For me personally with the meditation, go as deeply in as I can and then frequently, somewhat frequently, look up at the sky and then we could all enjoy the stars together and then go back into a meditation. Sounds perfect, man. Yeah. We'll make that happen and report back to everyone. Yeah, unless I bitch out. Which we are known to do. No, we'll do it this summer. We'll do it.